High Heels and Heartache. I'm your host, Kendall Ann Combs. Uh, Today's episode is just a little bit different than usual. Um, With everything going on with the coronavirus and social unrest and the upcoming election here uh, in the United States, I thought I wanted to just take a minute and highlight some of the good work that's going on um, in our country. So today I'm going to be talking to Doris Walker-Taylor, who is a senior ambassador for Thistle Farms. So last Christmas, I became familiar with uh, Thistle Farms because my mom, who is an all-around fabulous person, decided that she was going to give me all socially responsible gifts. And she gave me this amazing lavender candle from Thistle Farms. So Thistle Farms is a nonprofit social enterprise, um, and they help survivors recover and heal from prostitution, trafficking, and addiction. Um, and it's a it's a really cool nonprofit. It's actually a two-year residential program um, where they give the ladies that live there case management, health care, counseling, employment, education. Um, so they're really making such a huge difference in um, the lives of those ladies who are attending that program. So I uh, reached out to Thistle Farms and I said, hey, <laughs> do you want to come on the show? And thankfully, they said, sure. So here we are. Um, so stay tuned. Coming up next, I have Doris Walker-Taylor, Senior Ambassador for Thistle Farms. With me on the line today, I have Doris Walker-Taylor. Hey, Doris, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? Wonderful. So, Doris, you are the Senior Ambassador for Thistle Farms. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. You're welcome. And it is so good to be in your presence today. Oh, (laughs) thank you. So, you are part of my um, good news episode here for October. So, um, I was hoping that you could kind of just chat us through your story what brought you to Thistle Farms? What exactly is Thistle Farms and how Thistle Farms is changing the world? Okay, absolutely. I'll be happy to. So my name, as I said earlier, is Doris Walker-Taylor, and I am a very grateful Thistle Farmer. Thistle Farms is an absolutely amazing organization. You know, we help women such as myself there are a lot of women coming to our community for all sorts of reasons. There are some women who come into our community because they were sold into human trafficking at a very early age. And I'm grateful to say that wasn't part of my story. There are some women who come into the community because they grew up in homes where addiction was prevalent and they thought that was an okay way of life. That wasn't part of my story either. And then there are some women who come into the social farms community because they were molested by a family member or by a stranger at an early age and started that cycle of trauma in our lives. So Thistle Farms is designed for women just like me. So when I think about my story in the beginning when I got here, my story was kind of unlike the other ladies because I had an amazing childhood. My mother and my father were humble believers in God. And I grew up in a rural, little rural town north of Nashville, White House, Tennessee. 
life was absolutely amazing. Uh, I was the youngest child in the family. My dad taught me that music is food for the soul. He would carry me to church and and, and stand in front of everybody and teach me how to sing. And and I just, I love the, the word. I became a believer at an early age. In spite of all the beginnings, I still landed at the Farms with a horrific story, just like so many of my other sisters. We call ourselves Sisters for Life at Thistle Farms because our stories are so much more enlightened and different. So my story began after having a great childhood, just one day out of the blue, a very troubled family member came into our family home and severely injured my mom and shot my father. And I'm 12 years old. And never in my life had I ever seen or heard of anything like this. And I can remember that day changing my life. I remember standing there, and just as my dad fell, I ran over to him, which resulted in my being partially trapped underneath the car. So my dad died that day. Mm, I'm so sorry. Yes, yes, yes. It, it, it took me a long journey. My dad died that day. My mom was severely injured, and I immediately began to live in denial. Because I did not understand or know what family unity was all about. This was a troubled family member that had came into our family's face. Did you know him? I, I did. It was my it was my mom's sister. It was an error. It was a simple error. She, you know, my my daughter, my my, uh, old, my sister is seven years old. Than I am. My sister was home from college break because she wanted to stay home and make some money to return back for the next semester. And she had got a job. And of course, so she and her cousin went out to look for jobs. And her, my cousin that she went out to job hunt with was a, a high school dropout. And my sister was in college. So naturally, when they went out to job hunt, my sister got a position and my, and my cousin didn't. So then my sister didn't have transportation. And my, and my cousin said, don't worry about it. Just ride to work with my husband. He'll give you a ride. And by the end of that first week at work, her husband came home and told her he was leaving her. And the mother-in-law just assumed that he was leaving her because of my sister. Uh, but then later on, he came back and they apologized and said, oops, we made a mistake. He was actually, you know, this, so I'm old, I'm 64. This happened in 1968. So it, it, there wasn't in Tennessee very many biracial uh, families to, to get gear from. So he had left his wife for a nurse at the hospital where he worked that was, you know, which was a lady that was, uh, she was not black as he was, so it was a biracial union. And that's why he didn't tell her who it was. He just told her he was leaving. So it was just all a big mistake. And, and my aunt came down in protection of her daughter and they came to injure my sister. My dad and mom stepped in, but they got injured. And then uh, maybe two weeks after all this happened, they came back and just gave her a humble apology, which did not bring my dad back. But she not bring my mom's husband back. So it was a big, horrific mistake that changed the course of my life for the next 26 years. So I was 12 years old when all this happened. And by the time I was 13, I had an addiction to marijuana because my mom became the sole breadwinner of the family. And when she would go out to work every day, instead of being a homemaker like she always had, I started hanging out with the cool kids. 
And it wasn't cool at all because I ended up smoking marijuana because I would I would remember over and over again that dreaded scene of seeing my father hit the ground. So I would smoke marijuana and it would relieve the pain. It's so, a form of escape. Yeah, the little bit I know, marijuana was a gateway drug for me. So the marijuana stopped working and I found myself having a full-blown addiction to cocaine by the time I was an adult. So that addiction took me from the little nice town of White House, Tennessee. And White House, I usually refer to White House as a little town, much like Mayberry. So I left that little quiet home where I had learned everything about God's word. I left there and landed on the streets of Nashville. And that's where I began to live an inhumane lifestyle. I can remember walking down the streets of Nashville, and even though I was high and inebriated, I would recite the 23rd Psalm. And you know, it says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He begs me to lie down in green pastures. So I would cry out and ask God to come get me. And at the end of the 23rd Psalm, it says, and I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I wasn't dead. So after saying that prayer again, I managed to, after saying that prayer again, I went to jail because my life was full of going to jail and getting out of jail and going to jail. And this it was a vicious cycle. Uh-huh. I go to jail again. So when I was on the street, I had run across, I, I, was, I had uh, been on the street and I had a friend named Regina. And Regina had just disappeared. And I thought Regina was dead because our lives didn't hold any value on the street. But when I went to jail, I'm standing there in this ugly orange jumpsuit and my spirit is broken and I'm just standing there with my head down. And I looked up and across the room, I saw someone who resembled Regina. But I'm thinking, that can't be Regina. Now this lady is glowing from the inside out. This lady looks amazing. So I looked and I'm staring and then Regina walked over to me as close as she could get because she was not there as an inmate. Regina was there to bring a word of hope. So Regina looked at me and she said, Doris, guess what? I got my life back. And I'm like, how did you do that? And she said, I found this program. And I said, no, no, that's, that's enough. I have gone to probably 30, half, 30 um, recovery centers during my addiction. And I just couldn't get it because what was 30 days going to do for me? Mm-hmm. I had been addicted the vast majority of my life. This was in 2009. So I had been addicted for well over 26 years. And I'm thinking, what? I, so I'm thinking, what was 30 days ago? She said, no, Doris, this program is designed for women just like us. She said, it's a long term program. And I said, you know, Regina, I have tried half her houses because they're 90 days. Uh-huh. Charge 140 a week. And at that time in my life, I was clean from drugs, but I would go back out and trade myself until I was a commodity to get my rent because I didn't know how to live in my life. Mm-hmm. She said, Charles, no, this program is so different. This program is designed for women just like us. She said, this program is two whole years and it is totally free. So, so Doris, in these um, like halfway houses and the and these rehabs that you had been going to for addiction, were they giving you any kind of like therapy 
to address your trauma, that it was kind of like the underlying root cause of these behaviors or, or what, what were you getting in these other facilities? Okay. So, you know, when I think back about my life, when I was trying to get clean and I would go into a 30 day rehab program, it would, I would stay clean for 30 days because that was the setting I was in. When I would go to jail for two weeks or three weeks or a month because I have gotten a prostitution charge or because I got a paraphernalia charge and, and I would get it, but the man I was with would never get a charge. But when I would go into those settings, I could adapt. It was like, it was as if I was a chameleon. Whatever setting I was in, I could adapt. So I could stay clean for 30 days as long as I'm locked up. I could stay clean for two months as long as I was locked up, as long as I was incarcerated. I could stay clean for 30 days at a time when I was in a rehab facility because everyone else around me was, was in there, but they were not teaching me anything about when you leave here. They say, you know, find a meeting to go to, but no one told me how to make money the way I should make money without selling myself as though I was a commodity. No one was teaching me anything about uh, what do you do when you have using dreams over and over again and want to use, what do you, you know, I wasn't there long enough to learn any, put any tools in my belt on how to really stay clean. So it was a vicious cycle. I would go to there, I would go to a rehab facility and even like when I was talking to Regina and she was telling me that Thistle Farms was a two-year program, I thought, well, I've gone to halfway houses and they're 90 days. But in the halfway house, I could not concentrate on myself because every day I was there, I was going out trying to find a job because we had to pay $140 a week. And after you got three weeks uh, in the rear, they would ask you to leave. So I would always try and look for a job for a couple of weeks, couldn't get a job, didn't have anything to put on my resume that was legal. So um, I would end up going back out and selling myself as though I was some type of a commodity. And if you're clean, but you're living dirty, it just did not sit well with my spirit. So I would go back and use again because I felt so bad about myself. I would go back and use again because I've got cash money in my hand. And that's not a good thing for an addict, not an addict like me. So that, that was what my life was full of. So after when I was in jail, Regina gave me the number to the Thistle Farms Residential Program, and I went back home. So by this time in my life, I had two amazingly beautiful children. I have a handsome son and a, an amazing daughter, and I could not take care of them because I couldn't even take care of myself. So I thank God every day that my mom was able to take care of my children. So when I got out of jail this time, I'm out of jail. I have a number that might give me just a little bit of hope. So I came all the way back to White House, Tennessee. And when I walked into my mom's house, my kids ran up to me and they hugged me and loved on me. It didn't matter that I probably smelled like a bear. It didn't matter, <laughs> it didn't matter, that, it matter that my hair was in dreads and I looked like something that cats drug in. They loved their mom. So they me and hugged me so I stayed there for a few days but as I said every night when I go to sleep I'm having using dreams and if there's anyone listening that does not know what using dreams are if you are addicted 
if you're an alcoholic, if you're addicted to drugs, if you're addicted to medication, when you're not putting anything in your body, but you are asleep, your body keeps craving those things. So all night long, I would be dreaming that I was using and I wake up in a sweat and I would be in my mom's house. So while I was there, my brother said, Doris, you know what? You are killing our mom. Every time the news come on, and they find the woman dead and she doesn't have any identification, our mom goes into a panic mode because she thinks it's possibly you. So my brother said, can you just call our mom and let her know you're doing okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go back to the streets, but unknowingly, my brother had planted a seed in my spirit. Uh-huh. I, I would be sitting in a crack house and something would tell me, call your mom. And I'm like, oh, not right now. And then I'm walking down the street about to get, touch the doorknob of a stranger's car to get in the car to sell myself. And something would say, call your mom. And I'm like, oh. so I, I just kept experiencing this. So one day I was in sitting in a house and I was just getting ready to order my drugs and something said, call your mom. Hey, call your mom first. Call your mom. So I thought, okay. So I called my mom. And I thank God every day of my life that I made that call. So I picked up the phone and I said, hey, mom, this is Doris. I just wanted you to know I was doing okay. And I was not doing okay, Kendall. I was not doing okay. So I said, I'm doing, I just want you to know I'm doing okay. And she said, Doris, I need you to do one thing for me before, you, before I leave this earth. She said, the songs your dad taught you as a child, the songs that I know you can sing because God gifted you with a voice. Can you just come home? We're having this huge choir anniversary, a big explosion, and I would give anything just to have you there that one time before I leave this earth. So I'm like, okay, mom, okay, mama, I'm coming. So I went back. I hadn't been home in over a year. Uh-huh. And when I came home this time, I was bruised from the inside out. Mm. I was broken. I had blisters on my feet. And I had just about lost my will to live. Mm. It was so hard on the street. And it was so inhumane on the street. And when I said no, I lost my voice. It didn't mean anything. If I said no, I was taken anyway. Mm. You know, the things that I said I had never experienced, I got trapped up in a cycle of human trafficking at one time in my life over that 26 year, and during that 26 year period. So I came back home for this choir anniversary. And this time when I walked in, I was totally exhausted. So I walked in and I collapsed on the bed where I grew up as a child. And, and to show you how bad it was, how bad it, uh, it was for me to be in my house. If I had just raised up and looked out my window, I could have seen the very spot where my dad died. So home was not a good place for me. But I sleep that night and I slept more soundly than I have slept in, in a couple of decades. And I woke up the next morning and my mom was out in the kitchen, kitchen cooking. And I could smell this good food, and she was singing. I could hear her praying. She was like, God, don't let my daughter go back this time. She go back this time. She might not make it back. And my mom would walk around the house and sing hymns. And she was like, oh, Lord, I want you to help me. And then she'd come in the room, and she would feed me. And in the afternoons, I would walk up the street 
to, to the church to rehearse the songs. And of all songs for the choir to give me singing was that there's a song by Lenny Battles, um, Chicago Mass Choir, and it's called You're Looking at a Miracle. And I'm like, really, y'all? <laughs> I don't look like a miracle. I don't feel like a miracle. I am not a miracle. And they say, yeah, Doris, come on, you can sing it. This song is just for you. So I had this song to learn. So it, it kept my mind off drugs because I'm constantly listening to the music, constantly listening to the words and trying to prepare for this song. So when I got back home that night, I thought, oh, let me call Regina. So I took my daughter's picture off the wall. And I said, hey, Regina, this is Doris. I'm in White House, Tennessee. Can I tell you what you're about? And she said, Doris, she said, we have over 150 women on the wait list. She said, but you're my friend. So I am going to go into the director's office and see if I'm going to get you in. Just hold on. So that gave me a little bit of hope. That's the first hope I've had in my life in a couple of decades. So I, Yay, Regina! Yay, yay. <laughs> so I'm going to the church in the afternoons, rehearsing with the choir, coming back home, sleeping all day, eating my mama's good cooking, and then the day came for the anniversary. I sang and I praised and I did things unlike anything I had done in a couple of decades. Then I come back home that night and I had another user drink. So I woke up that next morning and I thought, well, Regina hadn't called me back. She said she would. And I looked at that and I thought, I've been having using drinks and I want some drugs in my system because it's been over a week now and I'm getting weak. I need some drugs in my system. I get up and I started packing my bags and I thought, I'm going, that's it. I'm going back to the street. This is, that's all I know. So I'm putting my clothes in the bag and I thought, let me call somebody to come get me. Because usually when I come home for a few days, when I go back, the first call I make, they're rushing to come get me because I look better, I feel better, I smell better, and I've got a little money on me. So I better be good. I can do that. So everybody I called that morning was unavailable. I called one guy. He had a flat tire. I called this girl I know. She didn't answer. I called the next person. They didn't have enough gas to come get me. So I started panicking. So I started leaving voicemails. If you come and get me, I'll pay you. We'll go get high together. Just come get me. So my mom walks in the room, and she saw me packing, and she said, where are you going? And I, and, and I said, Mama, I did what you asked me to do. I'm going back. She said, well, let me cook for you. So she goes in the kitchen, but instead of cooking, I heard her praying. And my mom praying more fiercely and harder than I'd ever heard anybody pray in my life and she's like god don't you let my daughter go back because if she goes out this time she might not get to walk back through the door and she was singing to the top of her lungs she was like oh lord i want you to help me and then she came in the room and she had tears running down her face and she said where are you going and i said i'm going i'm going back mom i did what you asked me to do and she said, where are you going? She just couldn't believe it. So I'm putting the bags, the clothes in the bag. And if I had been in sound mind, I would not, I would have just stopped because my mom was standing there and she was like 89 years old and tears running down her face. And I'm trying to go back to get the next hit. That's how insane I was. So the phone rang. I thought, yeah. I picked the phone up and I said, you coming to get me? And it was Regina. <laughs> she said, I'm coming to get you, Doris. Yeah. So I'm crying. I'm trying to keep my eyelashes on the whole nine yards. <laughs> it was Regina. 
So I thought I was going to get a call to go back out in the street. But instead, I got a call into the will of God. So she came and got me, and she carried me into this amazing program of Thistle Farms. And Thistle Farms is an absolutely amazing program. And it's designed for women just like me. I got my life back. November the 9th, 2009, I got my life back. And when I came into the program, the first thing they did was hand me a key. And it had been such a long time since anybody had trusted me enough to give me a key. That um, I thought, really? And they said, yeah, come on in, this is your key. And then they said, I had 11 and a half teeth. It was not a good look. They sent me to the dentist. <laughs> they got my teeth fixed. They sent me to therapy. The therapist taught me how to live life on life terms about the use of drugs and alcohol. I learned on that very first day. When, they, when I walked in, I thought they were going to judge me and say, what have you been doing? But they didn't. They asked a very profound question. What happened to you? And I realized from the very beginning that if something devastating happens to us in our lives and we don't do anything about it, it will manifest itself in so many different ways. So I went to work. I got my life back. That was November the 9th, 2009. The best thing about 2020 this year, November the 9th, 2020, I will have 11 years clean. So oh, I got so a lot. What an yeah. achievement, Doris. Yeah. yeah, it's been an amazing journey. It has been. So now, we, you know, Thistle Farm started here in Nashville in 1997. Our founder is Becca Stevens. She went out and she found five women. Regina was one of the first five women that came in this program in 1997. So the women were coming in, they were getting their lives back, they were going to court and getting their red sponge, but they were dirt poor because we lose everything we own in our addictions. And then when they went out to look for a job, nobody was hiring. So we opened up. So here at Thistle Farms, we have five houses. We have 86 sister organizations around the country where people hear about what we're doing and they'll go back to their state and they'll open up houses for people in their state. So we have a cafe at Thistle Farms on Charlotte Pike. The food is amazing. Uh, we have the manufacturing facility here at Thistle Farms. We make all these amazing candles and soaps and lotions and body butters and body bombs. Excellent gifts. Excellent things for your skin. The products are all natural. They're made with essential oils. They are as kind to the earth as they are to your skin. It is a, it's a God said. This program is not a religious organization. I just want to say <laughs> that's just my stuff. <laughs> This is just my stuff. It's not a religious organization. This program is opened up to any woman who needs help. And the good news is that it's totally free. It's totally free. And we get our lives back. And we become sisters for life. So my first job here at Thistle Farms was to make lip bombs. So this was in 2010. And we didn't have all the machinery that we have now. So I would make some almond oil uh, beeswax and, and lanolin and poured into this little tiny tube and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to die. But I stuck <laughs> with it. I stuck with it because I remember that we prosper by the work of our hands. And then 
My next job here was to pack products for the women to go out and tell their stories. And then I became the event director. And as of June this year, I became the senior ambassador for the Safaris for community relations. So I got my life back. And, and just telling you about my joy and how I got my life back is part of my job duties. So I'm no longer trapped in a 10 block radius. I'm no longer selling myself as though I'm some type of commodity. I am no longer trapped in human trafficking because I got tied up with a ring of human trafficking when I was out there. But now I've been able to travel to every state in the United States and just tell my story and sell a lip balm or a candle and the proceeds go to help that next lady. Because Thistle Farms is a nonprofit social enterprise dedicated to empowering survivors of human trafficking, addiction, and trauma. So it's an amazing, it's an absolutely amazing program and I'm happy. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. happy. <laughs> Um, what one of the things that I find um, so wonderful about Thistle yeah. Farms is that the residential program you guys have housing, healthcare, yeah. counseling, yeah. employment, and community building. So it's sort of like a whole a holistic approach, which was different from what you were experiencing initially with the halfway houses and rehab facilities that you were, you know trying to better yourself they just weren't cutting it but it just seems like thistle farms just looks at the whole woman and really gets down to like you said you know what happened to you and there's no judgment about it it's not your fault it's not my fault and every woman's and the thing about thistle farms is every woman's plan is her own like what it took for me to be a clean may not have been what it took for the next woman so that's uh, you know we we keep we we keep our doors open for the sales of our products, private donations and grants. You know, we, we try not to involve the government in it because we want every woman to have the time and the space to heal in the way that she needs to heal. You know, cookie cutter programs are not what, what works well for, for women who are coming out of addiction just because, you know, it's not like in three months time, I've got to learn how to do this and next three, it's not that way. We have time and space to heal. So it is a great program. It is an amazing, absolutely amazing program. Now we have a global initiative here at the Farms oh, where we have women who suffer from extreme poverty. We have this amazing uh, Moringa tea. It comes from San Juan Casolas, Mexico, and it has like vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin D, potassium, stabilizes the blood sugar, increases the memory, all that. So that's good in itself. But the reason I love this tea is because I'm 64. It has an ingredient in it that slows down the development of wrinkles. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, start drinking Doris. So <laughs> I adore that tea. And then we have another global product that comes from Rwanda, Africa. It's an all-natural insect repellent. It doesn't have any chemicals or any deep. What it has in it is geranium, lemongrass, citronella, spearmint, and peppermint. And uh, you can shake it up and spray it directly on yourself. You can spray it directly on your children. It's not safe for animals because it has lemongrass in it, and lemongrass affects their nervous system. But it's an amazing all-natural insect repellent. So we have all kinds. We have jewelry. We have all kinds of stuff from all around the country that we, where we help women who suffer from extreme poverty. We have products right here where people are able to go online or come into our front store 
and just shop with us. Yeah, and, and I am now doing events. So a lot of my events are virtual d- due to COVID-19, but what COVID-19 can't stop me as much as I've been. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm doing virtual events so people can just go online and you get, you get this kit for, for yourself. And then I talk to your visitors and I talk to your friends and we have a virtual event. I'm doing outdoor events. We have marketplace events now that are outdoors. So if anybody has one that want to invite me to come to, I'm happy to come. Yeah, so I, I've got my life back, and I've done more living in these past 10 years than I did in the first 53. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. That's yeah. so great. And I can tell you, Doris, that um, my family, we're big fans of um, the, the lavender candle. Oh, yes. Wow. <laughs> I this Bulgarian lavender, one of the finest lavenders. It's, it's just clean and fresh, and it smells so good. I candles, good. candles. I candles are not, you know, I soy candles, so they burn really clean. Uh, they don't have any carcin or paraphernalia, which formulate that black soot on them. And uh, the Thistle Farms candle is a very important thing in our community because we like the candle for the woman still out there sick and suffering. We like the candle for the babies that are born into an addiction without a choice in the matter. So Thistle Farms is an amazing place. And it started off as a mom and pop shop, but now we're the largest social enterprise in the United States. Uh, of its kind. So yeah, it's great. It's wow, great. what an achievement. Yeah, yeah. That's something to be so proud of. It is. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to be a proud of it. I am a, a proud of it. I'm so happy to be a part of it. Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> yeah. a graduate. I am. <laughs> and now the biggest I'm advocate. So I, I finally started something and brought it to completion. That was a big day. You know, when we have graduation, we have a graduation ceremony for the women. So usually we have them at like St. Bartholomew's Church or, or we have them at Vanderbilt campus. But this year, because of COVID-19, the women had gone through their two-year program and it was time for the community to celebrate them. And we couldn't do it because of COVID. But it is amazing how volunteers help us out in our community. Volunteer, all the volunteers that had sports cars and convertibles came and got the girls. And Thistle Farms, the back of Thistle Farms, there's an alley that runs all the way through the back of the back side of Thistle Farms. So we had our graduation ceremony in the alleyway. They got on top of the cars and it was like they were had their own private parade and we celebrated with them. And I couldn't come because that particular day my pastor passed. But when I went online and looked at that beautiful video, I thought, wow, we're having celebrations in the alleys. And the alleyways is not where we celebrated. The alleys are where we lost our lives. The alleyways is where we lost our hopes and dreams. But these women are strong, and they have been here for two years, and they've learned how to live life, and now they get to ride through the alleyway and celebrate. And the alleyways are not where we celebrated at. But, yeah, it was amazing. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Wow. Uh, Yeah. It was beautiful. So, yeah. So, so if you have any listeners, you can ask them to please go online and look at our products at Thistle Farms. Go on YouTube, watch our videos. Come by and eat at the cafe. Uh, sign up for an education workshop and come in and be a part of our workshops. We have a big, growing national network. But Thistle Farms, two fingers up, two thumbs up. It's, it's <laughs> <a good place. laughs> 
Well, well, I'll have, I'll put links to all of, of that information in the show notes and I'm going to put you on the spot here, Doris, and you can say okay. no if you want to. Okay. But do you remember the tune of your song, You're Looking at a Miracle? Can you still sing it? Um, let me see. I can. I think I, it's not like the original song. I changed it to my, to my droppings. But yeah, I think it was like, it was like, Oh, Lord. I want you to hear me. Oh, Lord, I want you to help me. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. My journey. Help me on my way. Yeah. Oh, Lord. I want you to hear me. Yeah, so. Yeah, oh, it's so good, Doris. <laughs> well, well, you really are a miracle. And thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. I am honored to be here. It is good to have my voice back and to be able to talk and people listen. Because in the middle of the most horrible rage I would say no and it was like you know you can't say no to me because I didn't have a voice and I couldn't report it to the police because I was out there selling myself so it is so good now the part of my job is talking I'll never shut up (laughs) (laughs) well you can come back on this show whenever you want Doris it's an open invitation to you I appreciate it thank you thank you you have a great day bye bye Thank you again to Doris Walker-Taylor for being on the show today. Um, I really enjoyed chatting with you, and you definitely are a miracle. Um, If you would like to support Thistle Farms and possibly purchase any of the great products that Doris was describing today, please visit thistlefarms.org. I will obviously put a link to it in the show notes. Um, I hope that this episode has made you feel maybe a little bit lighter or given you some hope. I know it's a tough time, um, but we're in it together. So let's just be a little nicer to each other and uh, help each other through. If you are in an unsafe relationship, there is help available. Please dial the National Domestic Violence Hotline That number is 1-800-799-SAFE. Again, that number is 1-800-799-7233.